1: The systems don't always work. And historically, evidence suggests they more often don't work than do work in the long run. And so the idea of having an open source technology-based alternative that an individual can proactively opt into, can vote with his or her day's labor, that's just an idea that's never really existed before in human history that we find fascinating and we think has huge implications, certainly for investment portfolios, but in a lot of ways, that's the smaller of the two topics and the much bigger is what potentially it
2: means for for human freedom. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Crypto.com and Nexo.io. And produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Thursday, November 12th. When the Bitcoin story of 2020 is written, one of the most defining features will have been the rise of corporate treasuries as a demand source for Bitcoin. This is, in many ways, simply the logical course of action for treasury officials in a world where the macro narrative of Bitcoin as a hedge against what feels like a secular shift to a world of unfettered money printing has become ascendant. In August and September, the company that broke this wide open was, of course, Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy, who shifted ultimately $425 million from cash into Bitcoin. As we know, that investment is worth much more now a few months later. Square followed suit, moving $50 million into Bitcoin in their corporate treasury. In October, yet another of these announcements came. Stone Ridge Holdings Group, a $10 billion asset manager, announced a few things. First, they announced that more than 10,000 Bitcoin would constitute their primary reserve asset. Second, they announced that their Bitcoin-focused subsidiary, Nidig's current custody, asset management, and financing balances exceeded $1 billion, and that they had raised $50 million in growth equity. So who is this $10 billion asset management firm that has a deep conviction around Bitcoin, a more than 10,000 large Bitcoin treasury, and more than a billion in custody and asset management business? That's what you'll discover this show in my conversation with Stone Ridge co founder and NIDIG co founder and CEO, Robbie Gutman. We discuss where their Bitcoin conviction came from, the changes Robbie and Stone Ridge have seen this year in terms of investor attitudes, and most importantly, why Bitcoin is a key part of their larger mission of financial security for all. This is one of the singular most exciting conversations that I've had all year and I know that you're going to enjoy it. All right. Welcome, Robbie, to The Breakdown. It is great to have you. Thank you very much, Nathaniel. It's great to be here. So this is a really exciting uh, conversation for me. I've been kind of watching the drips and drabs of information coming out about you guys and what you're up to. And it's going to be really fun to dig in a little bit more. But I guess just to set up, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what is uh, what is Nidig and what is Stone Ridge Holdings?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, And again, I am very grateful to be here. Uh, I've been a longtime fan from afar, uh, also a frequent listener. uh, And this is actually my very first uh, podcast appearance. So please be gentle. (laughs) Will do. Um, So uh, I I think it's probably best to start by describing Stone Ridge Holdings Group, uh, which is a financial technology holding company. Uh, Founded in 2012 by a guy named Ross Stevens, uh, who is still today the the founder and the CEO. Uh, And he invited uh, two people, myself uh, and a woman named Yen Zhao, uh, who I uh, used to work with, uh, to be co-founders with him uh, in 2012. And the the big picture idea is a financial services company uh, dedicated to the idea of financial security for all. That is is our mission, that is our our watchword. Um, And uh, within the Stone Ridge Holdings Group ecosystem, we, we have several operating companies. Uh, the, the first and the largest is the Stone Ridge Asset Management Business. Uh, the second and the one I look after on a day-to-day basis is called NYDIG, uh, which is our Bitcoin-focused subsidiary. Uh, and we actually have a, a third operating subsidiary called Longtail Re, uh, which is an offshore reinsurance company uh, based in Bermuda and the Cayman Islands. Uh, and we uh, run uh, all of the businesses on a common set of principles, uh, three, three of which we've had since the very beginning of, of the company, founding principles, uh, which are uh, first and foremost, uh, be kind, uh, second, be humble, uh, and the third is focus. And uh, along the way, as we started and operated these businesses, uh, we've added a a fourth principle, which is really more of a mindset uh, called anti-fragile, which is totally inspired by and cribbed from uh, Mm -hmm. the the Taleb book of the the same name, uh, which is really just a way way to go through life, uh, trying to set yourself up uh, to not only be resilient in the face of shocks, uh, but actually get stronger in, in the face of shocks.
2: Interesting. So let's talk about just be, before I kind of divert you into the crazy world of Bitcoin, um, this idea of financial security for all, what does that mean? Uh, I guess, you know, kind of as a, as a mission or an orientation, but also practically for you guys?
1: Sure. Um, so I'd, I'd say as a guiding principle, it's it's both a Uh, reaction in some ways to the the things that we had experienced in our careers uh, up until the founding of Stone Ridge, um, as well as an orienting principle around um, each of the businesses. And and so I'd say um, you know, speaking for for me personally, I've I've been on Wall Street in financial services my entire career, um, and I've always found everything I've done um, intellectually uh, fascinating uh, and intellectually fulfilling. Um, but at, at least up until Stone Ridge, there had always been a little something missing of what what was i really doing it for um who was i doing it for why was i doing it um and for for us in in stone ridge remembering that mission of trying to create financial security for all um is is something that we live with every day and so for example as we as we talk about our bitcoin focused subsidiary nydig one one of the things i i think we'll talk a lot about is is how and why we got interested in bitcoin and it's absolutely within this framework of financial security for all and in other parts of our business in, in often financial security for all means in in some contexts financial security for mass affluent americans which is they are all too. Um, Bitcoin really for us is much broader than that. It's financial security, uh, potentially for you know, billions of people on, on Earth um, who are not fortunate enough to be part of functional fiat monetary systems.
2: Love it. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to dig deeper into that. I'm interested. I think these origin stories are really important and fascinating, particularly in the, in the financial industry where there is a perception that these aren't conversations that funds and firms and people have with themselves, which I think couldn't be further from the truth. And you know, it's interesting to me that you started this firm a few years after the great financial crisis, and you had this founding principle in mind. You wanted to add that context to the work that you were doing. I mean, it feels very intentional. Absolutely, uh,
1: very, very intentional. Uh, sometimes we we talk about <clears throat> um, Stone Ridge being as much a uh, experiment in running a business based on these principles
2: uh, as as it is anything else. So just the last question about Stone Ridge before we maybe I mean it's it's all going to be about Stone Ridge in part 2 but before we segue in kind of the the Bitcoin origins is um what uh, what are the other so for for the parts of the business that aren't focused on Bitcoin what are the types of things that you invest in just again context setting for anyone who's listening
1: Yeah absolutely so uh in the Stone Ridge asset management business uh, that, that is in, in form and function a fairly traditional alternative asset manager. Uh, we manage a little over $10 billion um, on, on behalf of about 100 institutional allocators. Uh, we have a variety of strategies in that business. Uh, the, the first and the largest uh, is a set of reinsurance strategies. Uh, which, which range from a daily liquid strategy that invests primarily in catastrophe bonds, uh, all the way to a, a three-year locked private vehicle uh, that invests in uh, private bespoke reinsurance transactions. We also, within the Stone Ridge Asset Management business, uh, manage a uh, marketplace lending fund, uh, so we, we are, to our knowledge, the largest uh, marketplace lending fund uh, in in the world. Uh, there we, we partner with firms like Square and SoFi and Lending Club to provide capital uh, to to the borrowers on their on their platforms. Uh, and uh, we the third strategies uh, that that we run are a set of volatility strategies. Uh, so we we sell options in listed in OTC markets uh, to, to generate a return for clients. Uh, and the, the last and the most recent strategy that we launched uh, is a single family residential real estate strategy, where um, we we purchase homes, uh, and single family homes, uh, and fix them up uh, and, and rent them out to families.
2: Man, we could actually have a whole conversation probably about that, how the, the, the landscape of real estate is poised to change dramatically as more people move to the suburbs, to rural areas, can work from home. I mean, you know, I was just mentioning to you, we're, we're kind of in the middle of a move right now, and it's been a fascinating process. And it feels like there's a lot of opportunity to transform the landscape of available uh, homes for people uh, that, that don't follow a traditional model necessarily of, of even just regular home ownership.
1: Absolutely. And if you look, you know, hopefully I do a good job and maybe you have me back and uh, we, we can we can talk about about this. Uh, I, I would say at a high level, if, if you look at the the U.S. landscape today, the vast, vast, vast majority of homes that are owned, that are rented out are owned by people that own uh, one or two homes. Uh, And not any more than that. And there are pretty dramatic economies of scale available. Um, Once you own, call it about 100 homes within an easily drivable radius. And so that that just creates the opportunity to create a much better experience for a tenant in a home like that, uh, cut a lot of the costs out, Uh, shorten the time to deliver uh, fixes and services, uh, as well as the opportunity to to offer um, additional services as part of the landlord-tenant relationship.
2: Yep, absolutely. Okay, well, that we definitely let's let's put a pin in that for later, because I am super interested. But let's talk, let's move into Bitcoin. So you know, you've got this variety of strategies, you've got this founding, this founding set of principles, all kind of bannered under this financial security for all. When do I guess you guys personally start looking at Bitcoin? What's the sort of origin story there? And how does it start to creep into the actual business? Sure, and I I
1: would add some high level context here. I'm I'm sure you've had the same experience in your travels through time and space um, as I have. Of uh, you, you start to develop uh, a nose for the different flavors of, of crypto nerd. Um, mm-hmm. And I would I would say, you know, at at Stone Ridge, we we you, what you tend to find is the intersection of, of three particular flavors of, of crypto nerd. Uh, and I, and I count myself, uh, um, amongst all three. Um, and, and so the, the first flavor is is really those that have a, a personal or family experience, um, with collapse of a regime or a monetary system. So for me personally, my grandfather escaped, nazi germany after hyperinflation destroyed his wealth and fascists murdered his family and so that that has that has created for me um, a a fairly deep cultural for me and my family a a pretty deep cultural appreciation of the freedoms embedded in the american project and also a a real sense of what happens when they when they go away Um, and the 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 second flavor so that's a cultural flavor the the second flavor is often a, a timing flavor where just sort of accident of timing of birth placed me um at um a, a timing in the world to get a, a pretty deep appreciation of the transformative power of these open source networks so i, I have dim but specific memories of life before the internet you know i wanted to learn how to program my graphing calculator i literally wrote a letter to the zilog corporation and they literally shipped me back books about assembly language and the the z80 processor and you know that's a crazy thing that would never happen today um to like okay now i'm playing you know and i rode my bike around as a little kid playing with the kids in my neighborhood but then started to play trade wars on BBSs. I don't know if that's something that, that resonates oh, with you. Man.
2: At all. Yep. Well, we must we are from the same time period. Exactly. And then, you know, okay. I haven't thought about that for a minute.
1: <laughs> right. And then sort of staying up all night playing Diablo on Battle.net and say, oh, you know, you can you can dupe this armor. What does that mean for the economy? And I'm gonna go, you know, search for gold, but do I really need to? Or can I just trade for the things I need? Um, and you know, sort of remembering social life before Facebook and then after Facebook. And, and so a real, I, I, I think, time and place of how the world got networked um, in, in our lifetime in, in ways that was really powerful and transformative. And then, you know, the, the, the final flavor, and, and I'd say this chronologically is really where the light bulb goes off, is the Wall Street or financial services, career informed Appreciation, for better or worse, of uh, the made-upness of the fiat monetary systems. You know, the 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 fact that the fiat systems are a a shared illusion that we all buy into. And again, I I say that without any value judgment. Like that shared illusion is very powerful. Mm -hmm. I pay lots of taxes. I take the M train over the Williamsburg Bridge. Like that bridge is real. (laughs) That train is real, and it exists because we can issue dollar denominated debt. Um, but at, at the same time, going back to the, you know, visceral experiences with what happens with when the systems collapse, you gotta be careful about managing those, those shared illusions. And, and so for me personally, um, I, I, I first heard about Bitcoin very early on, um, in, in the wake of the financial crisis. I, I lived in, in New York city, uh, with, with two other guys, uh, in, in, uh, small apartment and we all worked on wall street and we all had these front row seats to, um, to, to the, to the financial crisis. And, you know, I sort of remember thinking like, Oh, that's, that's what my grandpa always met when he said it's all made up, uh, which which is that it's, it's really all, all made up. Um, and so I, I actually bought my first Bitcoin on Craigslist, um, you know, on a shady street corner in, in New York City. Amazing. Sometime in, in late 2009 or early 2010, I actually went back and tried to, to find the interaction in my Gmail. I, I couldn't find it, but, you know, I, I did it totally terribly. It was just a private key on a USB stick. I didn't do anything to make sure that, you know, the guy hadn't spent it. anything before and actually took me a couple of days to even figure out how to move it on the on the blockchain but i did eventually it was legitimate the guy had not kept a copy of the key or if he had he he hadn't used it um and and so i i I think it's really at at least for me it's the intersection of those three things the 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 timing uh, the culture And the the professional experience that really just yields this absolute fundamental fascination with the idea of an open source monetary system as as an alternative, at least for me, from my perspective, not a replacement for any of the fiat systems. You know, we, we have today the U.S. Postal Service and private solutions like DHL or FedEx and email. They all coexist. They all have different purposes. In my mind, the idea that you would continue to have government-backed fiat systems, at least the larger ones, as well as an open-source system, makes makes complete sense, um, and is just an extremely powerful idea that um, we we just can't let go of. And honestly, we just love love Bitcoin uh, and and feel like we're at at the dawn. Dawn of the internet and getting up to work every day on moving that idea forward uh, is just very powerful, very exciting, and, and what drives us.
2: Super interesting answer. I think, um, you know, in terms of that flavor of crypto nerd answer, it for me it absolutely took connecting the dots between sort of the Bitcoin that I was being introduced to when I was living in San Francisco, when I was working as a VC, with actually my previous experience where I thought I was going to be in post-conflict reconstruction and had spent my early twenties in uh, Uganda, Rwanda, the Balkans, the Middle East. Um, It was. Really, that, that sort of was what triggered it for me as something more than just an alternative payment system, right? A competitor to Square, which is how a lot of Silicon Valley treated it at that time. So I, I think that that's super fascinating. Um, okay, so, so you clearly have this interest around it. Uh, how does it move into the stage of conviction? And then how does it infiltrate what you're doing at Stone Ridge? Sure. So I, I'd say, you know, different, different weightings on each
1: of the three factors, but, but a lot of us at, at Stone Ridge, um, have you know, some flavor of that same, uh, Genesis of personal interest in, in, in Bitcoin. And as, as the Stone Ridge business was developing, if you look today at the Stone Ridge asset management business, that, that didn't burst forth all at once, um, it, it was actually the result of trying lots of different things and, and most of them not working. And so my role early on in the Stone Ridge asset management business was head of product development and execution, which basically meant it was my job. I worked with Ross and Yen. We had a long list of crazy ideas. Um, and periodically we would take a crazy idea off the list and do some work on it. And most of them didn't work. Um, but occasionally some of them did uh, and and we got big funds or or other big big businesses and Actually, given our personal interest in Bitcoin, um, the idea of launching a cryptocurrency fund or a bitcoin fund had been on the list from the very beginning um, and <clears throat> it it hadn 't really gotten prioritized, and before it did actually. I'd, I'd say late 2015, early 2016, we we found ourselves just talking a lot about it and and i think by that point the landscape had changed a little bit it wasn't just bitcoin there were some other things going on that were starting to, to percolate up in into our conversation and and what we really found is there was a mismatch between how much we were talking about it and how much exposure we had to the idea and and so we really challenged ourselves you know, one one or two things needed to happen to close that gap. Either we should stop talking about it so much, um, <laughs> or um, we should have a lot more exposure than we did. And and so we we did a, a round of research and thesis challenging. And what we ultimately decided is is that we should have a lot more exposure. And so that that really kicked off at first the project of allocating some of the Stone Ridge Holdings Group Treasury. Um, to Bitcoin, and so what what happened there was in in my role at at Stone Ridge, it was my job to find third party service providers um, a- around which we would we would build things, and it actually never occurred to us early on that we wouldn't be able to find third-party service providers to facilitate what we wanted to do. So I have this very distinct memory of of calling the big custodial bank that we used at the time and still using the stoner asset management and saying, "Hi, I want to put some Bitcoin in our custody account. You know, <laughs> right, Can you walk me through the process? So it shouldn't be too hard, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and the guy said, bit what? <laughs> I said, huh. That's, that's weird. Um, and, you know, I think just a, a little window into the kind of people we are rather than saying like, Oh, I guess we can't do it. Um, we we said, Oh, I, I guess we have to build that ourselves. And um, there, there were really three parts of the initial projects internally, which was number one, how do we turn our dollars into Bitcoin um, in a way that satisfied us? Um, we weren't laundering money for ISIS um, and and satisfied other stakeholders as well. Um, Second, once we had done that, how were we going to store the cryptocurrency in a way that both satisfied us that it wasn't going to get hacked and stolen as well as facilitated audit by, by our auditors. Um, And, and third, there were some particular accounting challenges um, of how, uh, Bitcoin fits within existing um, accounting literature that that we had to work through uh, with with our accounting advisors and ultimately with our auditors um, and so it it was really those three uh, pieces of work product um, that that we that we did that we ran that we managed that, that ultimately we completed and so what then kind of the next thing that happened was as we were building our position using this infrastructure, um, we were talking about it with our clients in Stone Ridge Asset Management. And I would say, you know, I don't don't wanna overstate it, but something like 10 to 15% by count of the client base, um, wanted to express the same thesis that we did. And and again, at that time, still for us, it, it very much that thesis was, um long-term development of an open source monetary system and so we we made some enhancements to the infrastructure uh to be able to use it to support a uh commingled vehicle which just has has some additional considerations but was all stuff we knew how to do in the stone ridge asset management business and <clears throat> really the the third part of the process was um okay Making the observation, you know, we're we're not going to be the last people that have this challenge that that show up and want to do either dedicated cryptocurrency things or have a, a piece of a, a fund that they manage in in Bitcoin. Maybe there's a business opportunity um, to make the actual underlying infrastructure available to third parties um, and so that that kicked off the process for us we we contributed uh, all the existing ip into a separate subsidiary um and we approached the the New York State banking regulator the NYDFS about about getting a pair of licenses both a, a bit license for one entity and a New York limited purpose trust charter uh, for another entity, roughly mapping to to that execution work stream and to the the custody work stream uh, and and finally we we did something we had never done before, which is we raised um, uh, equity at a subsidiary level. We do have some outside equity investors at the holdings group level, uh, but but vast majority uh, employee owned and one hundred percent employee controlled um, and so we we raised. Uh, $50 million worth of equity at the Nidig level, Um, uh, absolutely fantastic team at Bessemer Venture Partners, PVP, uh, run by uh, a guy named Rob Stavis, and another partner, Alex Ferrara, uh, led the round. Uh, And then there were three other strategic investors uh, who who tend not to like to be identified by name. Uh, One global investment bank uh, and two large global insurance companies, uh, all three of whom we have existing had existing relationships with at the time uh, and who with whom our partnerships have only expanded uh, since then.
2: Love it. So I mean, so this is there's a lot to dig in here. Uh, I think one of the things that I want to go back to though is obviously for the last couple months, there has been a huge news cycle in Bitcoin around the idea of treasury holdings moving to this asset, right? And in many ways it it makes just a ton of sense. If people start to see it, it's like this is a place where it would be natural for people, for firms, for corporations to express their conviction around. Uh, Concerns of of you know inflation or whatever it is right in this sort of process, but it it was presented or it has been presented as something new. But it sounds like in many ways that was the genesis of this for you guys. You know, three four years ago.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, And you know, for us, um, I, I I think since the financial crisis, the observation of the expansion of the money supply in the u.s has been something we've been paying attention to certainly it it hasn't shown up in um growth in cpi really in any measurable way but i i think where it's really shown up for us it is in in kind of other measurements of of inflation and and really so something we pay a lot of attention to is the the cost to get $50,000 of annual income in retirement. And so if you look at the cost of that um, over, you know, certainly over the last six months, and certainly over the last year, but even even stretching back uh, over the last 10 years or so, there's been a pretty dramatic change in in that. And it was it was observations like that that led to our wanting to diversify our treasury holdings into bitcoin and frankly to things like um exploring the single family residential real estate space uh, and, and ultimately launching a strategy there very similar observations and similar conclusions
2: yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is a, a place where I think we can clearly connect the line between uh, your interest in Bitcoin and that overarching mission or guiding principle of financial security for all. Right, looking at inflation in terms of the cost to live the type of life that you had expected to, for example.
1: That's exactly right, and and I think for us, <clears throat> you know, there there's an additional aspect where again if if you if you look at the the clients we serve in in all our businesses frankly um, there 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 is a particular definition of financial security that that we're focused on which is ex- exactly right how to how to lead a um, first world uh, life of dignity in retirement and I, I think that's that's something we've been very focused on in the creation of our products and and who we market them to and and how we offer them one one thing that I'd say is is particularly unique for us about bitcoin is the idea of financial security is much broader uh in in bitcoin in in that if you look at um you know there if if you're not fortunate enough to be part of the you know arguably really just single digit number of um, functional scale fiat monetary systems, you know, you, you have a really different set of concerns than, um, can I, can I lead a retirement in dignity in the U S or the UK or Japan? Sure. You know, you, you have a much more fundamental, can I save my day's labor, um, in something that I can spend tomorrow or next week? Uh, and, and, you know, we're not the kind of people that, can cure cancer or drive world peace, um, but to the extent we can move the Bitcoin project forward, it really does feel like we can do something measurable in society today um, around this idea of financial security for people outside the first world
2: yeah, and I think that it's to me personally viewing those things not as uh not as the same sort of uh you know challenge uh, but but as contiguous is incredibly important right to see the struggle to preserve one's wealth in that sort of faraway context at least to most of us uh, most of us as as part of the same struggle as uh, wanting our parents to kind of be be protected you know is I think it, it creates a different level of commitment to trying to build the best system possible it sort of D de- de- uh de individualizes things in a way that is is really potentially powerful i think absolutely i, I totally agree um and and it also it, it speaks to one of the challenges
1: we've had over the last few years um in in trying to to talk about this prior to call it you know march april of of this year which which is there 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 tends to be among the investor base that that we speak to, a, a a fairly first world perspective of I I don't understand my Visa card works just fine. Why would I ever need this? And 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 that's totally right. And I am the same way. You know I'm I'm probably 99th percentile in terms of personal allocation to Bitcoin relative to dollars. But it's still mostly dollars like I save to send my kids to college in dollars and I buy my groceries in dollars. And I'm, you know, all the things being equal, pretty sure that when it's time to send my kids to college, I'm going to pay the bill in dollars and will still be buying my groceries in in dollars. But it's important to remember that actually most people by count in the world are not that fortunate. Um, are, are not able to live their lives um, in, in one of these systems that's actually at scale um, or functional, even leading aside, leaving aside actively corrupt.
2: This episode is brought to you by Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto all in one place and earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly on all purchases. Reserve yours in the Crypto.com app today. Looking for the best way to stay on top of your investment game? Nexo.io has you covered in three easy steps with their high-yield savings account for digital assets. Step one, create an account at Nexo.io. Step two, transfer assets to your secure Nexo wallet with no minimum or maximum limits on funds deposited. Step three, sit back, relax, and earn up to 10% compounding interest paid out daily on your crypto and fiat. Your passive income made simple. Get started at Nexo.io. Something that that you mentioned it was very very kind of a passing comment uh, talking about uh, fiat regimes and you said at least the larger ones in terms of likely to be there and there's a whole separate conversation which maybe we'll get to in, in a little bit on the, the a thing that I think that we don't talk about very much which is the likely pressure that that small country developing world fiat regimes are going to face I think Lebanon right now is a really good example of this sure. uh, because it's not you know this is not a, a bottom of the rung thing this is right. There's is a banking center for the entire region for for most of its modern history that is just you know flailing from a from a fiat perspective but it is a uh, it, it is it, you know the the interesting note or, or kind of uh, uh, you know adjacent piece to what you just said is that in fact many of the places where people aren't that fortunate dollars are also what they're trying to get into which is I think part and parcel of a larger reorganization of the monetary system where it's very clear that the idea of in general uh, these fiat regimes as just a you know fixed and good and working for people is is being challenged in a big way.
1: I think that's exactly right and you know listen I <clears throat> I'm not there trying to run the Lebanese central bank in exactly the same <laughs> way that I you know wasn't there in the depths of the financial crisis trying to save the financial system and so I'm very conscious that you know I I can't be sure that I wouldn't do exactly the same things when presented with the same data and and decisions, let alone ever dream of claiming that, that I could, I could do something better. Um, but, but just empirically, um, the, the, the systems don't always work and historically, um, Evidence suggests they more often don't work than do work in the in the long run, and so the idea of having an open source technology based alternative that an individual agent, uh, as a human, as a citizen, can proactively opt into can can vote with his or her day's labor, that, that's just an idea that's never really existed before in human history. That, that we find fascinating and, and we think has huge implications, um, you know, certainly for in investment portfolios, but in a lot of ways, that's the smaller of the two topics and the much bigger is what potentially it means for for human freedom.
2: Absolutely, that's pretty much what drives me in this whole space. But I, I want to go back to your comment that there were, uh, as you started getting into this on a kind of structural level, thinking about doing this from an infrastructure perspective, ten to fifteen percent by count of the client base wanted to express the same thesis. What was the composition of that ten 15, to ten to fifteen percent? You know, did they reflect a, a common type of perspective, a common type of institution? Basically, what I want to do now is maybe see, get some per, behind the scenes perspective on how things. Have changed, and so to do so, let's start with where they were when you guys set out on this journey.
1: Sure. So I, I would say over the the last couple of years, and really accelerating in the last six months, we we have observed a a, a pretty distinct what I what we think of as as the the, the one two punch, um, and and so in in our business, we almost entirely or, you know, r- rounds to 100% um, a- across the Stone Ridge ecosystem uh, deal with fiduciaries. And, and by that, so in, in crypto landscape, in the, I, the term institutional investor uh, ten- tends to be a fairly overused term. And, and so we mean something pretty specific, um, w- which is uh, somebody who professionally makes um, in investment decisions about other people's money. And has a mix of a legal and ethical obligation uh, to consider uh, various risks as they as they make those decisions. And so, with crypto specifically, the one-two punch that we've observed is um, people in those professions, CIOs, uh, financial advisors. Uh, um, CEOs of financial services companies in investing personally with their own assets to get comfortable, both with the investment experience. It can be a, volatile experience um, as as well as get comfortable with the operational constraints because there are lots of narratives out there of oh exchanges get hacked and i can lose all my money and certainly those narratives are true and we've but um a big part of what we do is is build the operations and infrastructure to to not have those challenges and so then the two is as those people get comfortable, they they transition from investing just their personal assets now to investing on behalf of the pools of capital that they manage, whether those are hedge funds or insurance company general accounts or financial advisors making allocations on behalf of their clients on a one-off basis or on a systematic basis or the Sovereign Wealth Fund, uh, putting, putting an allocation into place, or the, the university endowment, uh, putting an allocation into place, the, this pattern of um, people investing first personally to gain comfort, followed on by um, an, an allocation from the pools of capital that they manage.
2: So there's been this shift uh, in, in kind of, you mentioned over the last, you know, period. Um, I, I guess what, you know, what have you seen as causal for that shift? Is it all kind of macro narrative? Is it structural, infrastructural? You know, like, I mean, we, we I spend every day on this podcast thinking about that type of question and you are having these conversations and actually watching the transition happen.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So at least our experience which is all I can I can speak to in in our market. Um, so hu- huge, distinct, effectively 180 degree shift uh, in in the last six months, um, driven in in our experience, almost entirely, or I would think entirely by um, the macroeconomic backdrop set against the public health backdrop. And, I, you know, I, I would say at least for us, no, nothing has really fundamentally changed about our infrastructure um, in call it three years. Um, you know, obviously we 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 do work on it to improve it, but the idea that there is you know a regulated custodian with a cold storage solution that can withstand a big four audit, that you know, with insurance and reasonable pricing. That's been true since 2018, um, and is 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 no more true today than it was then. Um, really, what's changed, I think, is the macro backdrop that's driving people, at least in our context, towards making the investment. And and so I I would highlight, I, I think, for us, three three really observable. Um, distinct trends that that we see so the first is really what I already highlighted of um, fiduciaries making allocations on behalf of their clients as distinct from making personal investments the that's that's really again at least in our business uh, pick picked up you know somewhere between ten and hundred fold um, the 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 second trend is for both existing and new investors in the asset class, um, a, a demand for a more sophisticated set of financial products. So, beyond the basic, I want to buy some Bitcoin and hold on to it. Certainly, we see lots of that, but um, more interest in uh, more sophisticated products. I I have a big holding. Um, and I want to sell calls to generate yield, and, you know, at scale in the you know hundred million dollar and up range. Like, oh, that's interesting. That's not something we saw before 2020. Or, you know, I want to I want to accumulate a position, but I have a specific target entry price, uh, and so I'm going to sell puts struck at my target entry price, so that while I wait for it to get there, I'm going to collect some yield. Or I have a big position. Um, or I want to enter a big position, uh, but I want to manage the volatility. So I'm going to do a collar um, around the position uh, to have a less volatile experience on on the book. Um, these these are all conversations that that we're having and implementing for clients that that really feel feel new this year. Um, and and the third thing I'd say is is um, a pretty dramatic shift in the tone of existing financial institutions, um, looking to offer um, Bitcoin or Bitcoin adjacent products to their clients, looking for integration solutions, white label solutions or, or partnerships um, to be able to offer those products or, or accelerate their, their time to market in, in those products. And that, that ranges all the way from uh, your kind of traditional asset servicers, um, looking for sub custody solutions. Uh, we're having having a bunch of those conversations. Um, and And again, we were having those conversations before this year. The tone has really shifted I, I think in our experience from w- w- kind of idle conversation to we're really gonna do something um, all all the way to banks offering consumer products and And I think you know you you asked what what drove that shift for for the banks at least. I would certainly highlight the the recent OCC guidance um, about um, their uh, removing doubt that banks that they regulate um, can offer uh, certain kinds of cryptocurrency and and cryptocurrency-adjacent services to their clients, and I really applaud uh, the OCC for issuing that guidance uh, and, and removing that doubt. Um, because that that really has spurred a lot of action uh, from the banks they regulate
2: it's fascinating we're we're having this conversation actually hours after uh, a memo or some letter from uh from from a bunch of uh, congress people to the occ about how they needed to chill out on the crypto guidance and do things <laughs> in conjunction with congress so it's just i mean this is the way of the world i suppose is uh, you know the the tension between moving fast and moving slow
1: absolutely and and these are you know going back to a previous part of the conversation these are important checks and balances in how the American system works and so the 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 executive branch and the legislative branch um having that check on each other that's that's important that's how we get a vibrant functional democracy
2: yeah Absolutely, so I think I want to ask one more question about about kind of this shift because in many ways, it feels to me like just based on even hearing your experience and talking to other folks, the groundwork has been laid for so long that this almost this kind of uh, narrative catalyst was able to come into such fertile ground that it looks like punctuated equilibrium when behind the scenes there was a, a, so much percolating and getting ready for the this moment. I wonder how much from a, from a narrative perspective, though, uh, how much has it made a difference to see highly kind of visible figures uh, come into this space to articulate their theses, be it Paul Tudor Jones earlier this year, Druckenmiller just earlier this week. Are those things meaningful in terms of reducing perceived career or social risk? Or are those just kind of the icing on the cake of lots of conversations happening behind the scenes? Uh Certainly my opinion is those things are absolutely
1: helpful. Um in and, and I and I think you you hit on a really key idea um when when you talk about the career risk. Um and, and I think that that is both why up to this point we saw, again, at least in our business, relatively little movement in, in you know, sort of relative scale to things like our Stone Ridge asset management business, um, and, and why you've started to see that accelerate. And, and I, you know, thinking a little bit about what, what I would expect on a going forward basis, I would actually expect that to accelerate because I, I think for every Paul Tudor Jones or Stan Druckenmiller that, that you have, um, you, you have, a life insurance CIO that, that makes the allocation or a university endowment CIO that, that makes the allocation. And just the, the more air cover that the, the other professionals in those seats feel that they're not being the first to do something, um, just the more confident they're gonna feel in expressing their thesis. Um, and I think that really comes in two parts. I think one is seeing the people, um, uh, making the allocation, but also at the same time, seeing the kinds of organizations that are allocating and, and drawing, uh, by extension, uh, conclusions about comfort with the level of the infrastructure. So really saying like, aha, if, uh, If if those guys got comfortable with it, it's not that I don't have to do my own work and I am going to do my own work, but they they must have done the work and they must have gotten comfortable.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that this is such a key point too. We talk about where different institutions, firms, whatever exist on the risk spectrum as though those firms weren't made up of a set of people who have their own different risk spectrums. And so often when it comes to trying something new like a disruptive open source money system or a totally radically differently organized asset class, you're going to have internal champions and really it's the how well and how able are they to kind of change Chip away at the set of concerns that others have to convince people to take that risk. That's, that's absolutely right. And, and I, I think that that gets to you know, the heart of
1: one one of the things our clients really value about a relationship with Nidig is just by way of our background. Um, We're, we're very familiar with those organizational dynamics generally, if not specifically within these organizations. Um, And so we're, we're able to arm uh, the internal champions with the information that they need to drive it internally, as as well as be patient. Um, And, you know, something that that we say internally that I think it's a lot of traction and, and positive feedback from our clients is, you know, we're we're not really in the in the Bitcoin business. We're in the financial services business. It just so happens that we offer financial services around Bitcoin. And when when you're dealing with a sovereign wealth fund or an insurance company general account or a university endowment, off offering them financial services of the kind that they are used to consuming um, is has has a huge advantage for those internal champions because they can present it within a framework that they 're used to dealing with
2: yeah, absolutely it 's an interesting mindset shift i 'll make a parallel that 's not exactly accurate, but I think is is sort of reflective where like I think about this show as a macroeconomic show as a big picture power shift show. And I think that if you are interested in macroeconomics and big picture power shifts, you can't not have Bitcoin as part of the conversation. It's the one, it's the part of the conversation that is most acutely a part of this show and the one that I focus most on. But I kind of don't think about different crypto issues as somehow segmented when they make the show. It's because I think that they're a part of that conversation. And in some ways, it sounds like that's kind of the mindset shift that you are both seeing and encouraging, where. It's like, look, this is not some kind of radically out there thing. If you want to do financial services in the world that we are going into, the world of 2021, the world of post-COVID, the world of MMT and whatever is going to come next, you have to be prepared to at least have the conversation about this set of systems, this set of assets that are very different, but are going to have a seat at that table.
1: That's that's exactly right. I, I actually think that's a very apt um, an analogy of, of your show A because I really like your show, um, and, <laughs> and B because I, I I I think it really uh, functions, um, and I think it's a good analogy in in a couple of ways. Um, back back to something you said before, which is yes, we we are, while I from our perspective anyway, the the infrastructure to facilitate these kinds of investors making these kinds of investors um, investments has really existed for for three plus years, the macroeconomic backdrop that caused them to uh, rethink their portfolio allocations in certain kinds of ways.
2: That's really what's shifted in the last six months. Super, super interesting, so okay, so let's come to your news uh nighting announced a couple weeks ago a new equity round uh just a, a further expansion. I mean, tell us where the business is today uh what you guys kind of uh revealed to the world a, a few weeks ago sure um so i i I think you know it it
1: really is all along the lines of what we've been discussing here today, um which was. You know in a lot of ways we've we've spent you know the last ten years intellectually interested in this um and and the last five years really challenging ourselves around the narrative and the thesis, and then the last three years pretty acutely building the kind of infrastructure um, that would facilitate uh, fiduciaries allocating to the, to the space on behalf of their clients. It was just that for the last two and a half of those years, there wasn't a lot of interest, um, frankly, in, in, in what we had built. And that's, that's shifted pretty dramatically. And we, we see a pretty, pretty big opportunity um, uh, ahead of us to, to facilitate um, in investment in the space and so in in terms of where we are today so we we have a, a pretty robust platform around this idea of um financial services facilitating investment in bitcoin and and so the the, the platform components are things like the custody solution the execution technology um are proprietary approach to AML KYC, our research and advisory practice, Um, and then our asset management platform, and and more recently, um, our our ability to do OTC derivatives, um, as well as our ability to do financing uh, in in the asset class, lend lend dollars uh, versus Bitcoin collateral. And it's so that 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 platform is uh, extremely robust battle hardened at this point um and uh you know the the way we offer it into the market i I'd, I'd say is is really in two parts so the the first part is in what we think of as branded investor solutions and it's all the same platform underneath it. it. It's just going back to things we talked about before, different kinds of investors are used to consuming different kinds of financial services. And so we really make a pretty specific effort. Um, and this, this ties to some of the new hires in terms of people that, that are uh, have been in the business their entire careers of, of offering these, these kinds of products to these kinds of, in, of investors. So that's, that's things like our um, fund and separately managed Managed account solutions for institutional allocators, your pensions, your sovereigns, your endowments, your insurance company general accounts. They're just they're they're used to buying funds and SMAs, uh, and and so we we package our solution in in terms of funds and SMAs, and we have lots of credibility based on our background um, as uh, in the asset management space. The the second kind of um branded investor solution or or package that 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 we offer is effectively a prime brokerage solution for primarily for macro hedge funds but for for other kinds of hedge funds we're starting to see as well so this is a a package set of custody execution financing and reporting that that looks like the kind of prime brokerage solution you would get at a morgan stanley or a goldman sachs or a a jp morgan Um, and, um, and and again, just based on our personal backgrounds or personal and professional backgrounds, we have lots of credibility in in sort of what what those solutions actually look like for for those kinds of, of fund managers. Um, and the the last one I would highlight is the the corporate treasury solution, where again, there's just a, a kind of specific set of accounting and, and valuation and management and liquidity things. That that go into those those solutions that that we've been using on our balance sheet for some time now, uh, and that that we're really seeing an acceleration of um, implementation at at other corporate treasuries. Again, it's all the same platform underneath. It's just that a you know a corporate treasurer doesn't buy a fund usually. He buys a different set of things, and and vice versa. The the in insurance company CIO doesn't buy Commercial paper, she, she buys um, fund funds and SMAs. The other half of our business, where we see a lot of growth this year, it, is really using that platform, the, the component parts in various ways, um, to do white label um, or integration solutions and this this is really where some of those things that I talked about before, the big asset servicers looking for subcustodial relationships rather than try to build this infrastructure themselves in house uh, as as a quicker time to market, or banks wanting to offer um consumer products or so we're, we're in in pilot now uh, with uh, with a bank here in New York um, that's that's offering, frankly, an awesome product I'm using it in the pilot. I love it. Uh, it's a Bitcoin debit rewards card. So you have a checking account at the bank, you swipe your debit card, uh, instead of getting one and a half percent cash back or a toaster or whatever you might get from, from your bank, um, you get one and a half percent Bitcoin. So just every time you swipe your debit card, you accumulate one and a half percent Bitcoin and so we, we we do all of the back end for that we, we buy the Bitcoin <clears throat> we, we custody the Bitcoin we do the reporting we help them work uh, with with the OCC to describe the program to the OCC uh, to, to really manage all the customer protections that are really important for doing a, a program like that um, So those those are the kinds of things uh, we're really focused on um, on a go forward basis as we
2: as we grow the team. Well, I, th- I think that the the thing that you know just really stands out, uh, hearing you kind of rattle this off, is what a Cambrian explosion moment this industry is having in terms of the ways that you can interact with this new open source monetary system. Right? I mean, it's it's zoom back out two three years ago, and it's it's you know, I mean, a lot of people fathomed it, but it's unfathomable in some ways, just how uh, how much it's all coming together.
1: Yeah, we're you know, f- frankly, I I pinch myself some days. I mean, they're they're you know, we're we're working with some investors to accumulate Bitcoin for their portfolios. Where if you had asked me in February, would investor X Y Z buy Bitcoin this year? I I, I would have said zero point zero percent chance. Like literally I would bet you any amount of money that the answer to that question is no. And then, you know, here, here we are mid November and I, I would have been flat wrong. Um, and yeah, I, I think more generally, I, I think for us, the, the big things that that we focus on or are excited about are on, on ways to build the bridges, um, but between um, the existing financial services industry um, and, uh, and, and Bitcoin, sort of making Bitcoin available through banks in ways that matter via their consumer products or their subcustodial offerings and really um, helping people make allocations in their, in their institutional portfolios um, in, in ways that just require knowledge about how those companies work. Uh, It's all it's all happening. It's very exciting. And we're, we're just grateful to be a part of it.
2: Well, the one other thing that I wanted to mention from that set of announcements, which I thought was really fun, is that you guys did the the old school hair club for men thing when it came to the treasury yeah. offerings. <laughs> I'm not just a customer. I'm a client. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. And so, you know, was that was that treasury holding, I think the official announcement was uh, 10,000 Bitcoin uh, on the Stone Ridge books. Was that something new or was that just kind of the, you had been at this for a few years?
1: we we've been at this a few years um, we we have accelerated our accumulation over the last um, six months uh, and and so we we have a mix of um, been doing it for a while as well as renewed vigor um, about how much it makes sense for for us you know you you hit on a really interesting point um, that that is is something that we really draw on from our Stone Ridge asset management business that, that really shows up uh, kind of across the board in the Stone Ridge ecosystem, um, which, which is really a, a principal not agent mindset, um, you know, and and we really uh, try to approach the market with solutions that were designed and battle hardened um based on real world usage by us and it 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 really does change the conversation when you are speaking to a corporate treasurer saying you know yes not only is a significant portion of my personal net worth stored in this custody solution but in fact the accounting that I am describing to you has been through three EY audits. There is just a different, um, uh, there's a different tone to that conversation by being able to say we use it ourselves um, than not being able to say that.
2: Absolutely. No, I I think that that's huge. And, you know, it's one thing to have evangelists. It's another thing to have evangelist entrepreneurs. So I I think it's very exciting to see what you guys are doing. Um, I've had you here for an hour now, and I want to be respectful of your time and let you get back out to building products and then evangelizing them. But I want to maybe end on this macro note as well. Obviously, we are in the midst of a highly contested election cycle. We're looking forward to uh, a next year trying to figure out what that's going to be. You know, you use the phrase the made upness of the fiat monetary system. You know, what do you guys see as the big picture trends that you're expecting over the course of the next, uh, I don't know, year? pick your time period, right?
1: Yeah. Um, I, so I I think it. You know, I I don't have a crystal ball. I'll give you my opinion. You know, sure, which, which yeah, is yeah. which is worth it, exactly and completely the, the the paper it's printed on. Um, you know, I I think it's a question of of will will we get like a lot more or a lot 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 more stimulus, and and again with with no value judgment about what's kind of quote unquote correct or right or what i might do um when when presented with the same hard choices i i think that 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 just seems pretty clear and so i think that sets up a continued macro backdrop um, that continues to be very constructive um, for allocations to bitcoin and then when you layer on top of that the kind of self-reinforcing cycle of um, the air cover provided by the kinds of people that are out publicly talking about it as as well as the the kinds of people that won 't be out publicly talking about it but do speak privately within their professional circles of CIOs and financial advisors, yes, I have done this. Yes, I used these providers. Have you talked to the guys at NIDIG or you know, any, any one of the providers out there um, because they, they really helped me and they, they got it done? I think you're just going to continue to see an acceleration of, of what we've seen.
2: Awesome. Well, Robbie, thank you so much for hanging out today. Uh, let's definitely have you back sometime to talk, obviously, more Bitcoin, but also this real estate thesis. I'm super fascinated. And keep up the good work. Financial security for all is a uh, is a no BS, um, an important mission. So uh, I'm glad to hear that you guys are, are on this journey and, and doing what you can.
1: Well, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, great to be here today. Would love to continue the conversation. And, and same to you. Keep up the great work. Um, I'm a I'm a longtime fan. You know, first time guest, uh, <laughs> and uh, I I really appreciate the the work that you do putting high quality content out there uh, every day. So thank thank you very much. Cheers, sir. Have a good one.
2: Reflecting on that conversation, the thing that I wanted to point out for just a second is. This idea that they have been building for years, they've been exploring themselves for years, but they've been building and offering these institutional services for three years now. Robbie was saying pretty clearly that there had been a dramatic shift in the last six months, driven by this macro narrative and just the clear-cut view of Bitcoin as a hedge against what people see as a new type of monetary regime that feels inevitable. This is one of those classic moments of punctuated equilibrium where things that have been percolating and brewing and preparing for years all come to the fore in a short period of time because the last cog has clicked in and everything makes sense. I think that we're just at the beginning of a massive acceleration period for Bitcoin in the context of these types of institutional and corporate players. And I'm thrilled to see more people out there like Stone Ridge and Nydig getting ready to service that market. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. And until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.